0: Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. RatchetandRatchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 12. Lavender. In the middle of the first week of Matilda's first term, Miss Honey said to the class, I have some important news for you, so listen carefully. You too, Matilda. Put that book down for a moment and pay attention. Small, eager faces looked up and listened. "'It is the headmistress's custom,' Miss Honey went on, "'to take over the class for one period each week. "'She does this with every class in the school, "'and each class has a fixed day and fixed time. "'Ours is always two o'clock on Thursday afternoons, "'immediately after lunch. "'So tomorrow at two o'clock, "'Miss Trunchbull will be taking over for me for one lesson. "'I shall be here as well, of course, "'but only as a silent witness.' Is that understood? Yes, Miss Honey, they chirruped. A word of warning to you all, Miss Honey said. The headmistress is very strict about everything. Make sure your clothes are clean, your faces are clean, and your hands are clean. Speak only when spoken to. When she asks you a question, stand up at once before you answer it. Never argue with her. Never answer back. Never try to be funny. If you do, you'll make her angry, and when the headmistress gets angry, you had better watch out. You can say that again, Lavender murmured. I'm quite sure, Miss Honey said, that she'll be testing you on what you've learnt this week, which is your two times table. So I strongly advise you to swat it up when you get home tonight. Get your mother or father to hear you on it. What else will she test us on, someone asked. Spelling. Miss Honey said. Try to remember everything you've learnt these last few days. And one more thing. A jug of water and a glass must always be on the table here when the head mistress comes in. She never takes a lesson without that. Now who will be responsible for seeing that it's there? I will, Lavender said at once. Very well, Lavender, Miss Honey said. It'll be your job to go to the kitchen and get the jug and fill it with water and put it on the table here with a clean empty glass just before the lesson starts. What if the jug's not in the kitchen? Lavender asked. There are a dozen headmistresses' jugs and glasses in the kitchen, Miss Honey said. They're used all over the school. I won't forget, Lavender said. I promise I won't. Already, Lavender's scheming mind was going over the possibilities that this water jug job had opened up for her. She longed to do something truly heroic. She admired the older girl, Hortensia, to distraction for the daring deed she had performed in the school. She also admired Matilda, who had sworn her to secrecy about the parrot job she had brought off at home, and also the great hair oil switch which had bleached her father's hair. It was her turn now to become a heroine if only she could come up with a brilliant plot. On the way home from school that afternoon, she began to mull over the various possibilities. And when at last the germ of a brilliant idea hit her, she began to expand on it and lay her plans with the same kind of care the Duke of Wellington had done before the Battle of Waterloo. Admittingly, the enemy on this occasion was not Napoleon. But you never would have got anyone at Crunchum Hall to admit that the headmistress was a less formidable foe than the famous Frenchman. Great skill would have to be exercised, Lavender told herself, and great secrecy observed that she was to come out of this exploit alive. There was a muddy pond at the bottom of Lavender's garden, and this was the home of a colony of newts. The newt. Although fairly common in English ponds, is not often seen by ordinary people because it is a shy and murky creature. It is an incredibly ugly, gruesome-looking animal, rather like a baby crocodile but with a shorter head. It's quite harmless but doesn't look it. It's about six inches long and very slimy, with a greenish-gray skin on top and an orange-colored belly underneath. It is, in fact, an amphibian which can live in or out of water. That evening, Lavender went to the bottom of the garden, determined to catch a newt. They're swiftly moving creatures and not easy to get hold of. She lay on the bank for a long time, waiting patiently until she spotted a whopper. Then, using her school hat as a net, she swooped and caught it. She had lined her pencil box with pondweed ready to receive the creature, but she discovered that it wasn't easy to get the nude out of the hat and into the pencil box. It wriggled and squirmed like quicksilver, and apart from that, the box was only long enough to take it. When she did get it in at last, she had to be careful not to trap its tail in the lid when she slid it closed. A boy next door called Rupert Entwistle had told her that if you chopped off a newt's tail, the tail stayed alive and grew into another newt ten times bigger than the first one. It could be the size of an alligator. Lavender didn't quite believe that, but she wasn't prepared to risk it happening. Eventually, she managed to slide the lid of her pencil box right home and the newt was hers. Then, on second thoughts, she opened the lid just the tiniest fraction so the creature could breathe. The next day, she carried her secret weapon to school in her satchel. She was tingling with excitement. She was longing to tell Matilda about her plan of battle. In fact, she wanted to tell the whole class. But she finally decided to tell nobody. It was better that way. Because then no one, even when put under the most severe torture, would be able to name her as the culprit. Lunchtime came. Today it was sausages and baked beans, Lavender's favorite. But she couldn't eat it. "'Are you feeling all right, Lavender?' Miss Honey asked from the head of the table. "'I had such a huge breakfast,' Lavender said. "'I really couldn't eat a thing.' Immediately after lunch, she dashed off to the kitchen and found one of the Trunchbull's famous jugs. It was a large bulging thing made of blue glazed pottery. Lavender filled it half full of water and carried it, together with the glass, into the classroom and set it on the teacher's table. The classroom was still empty." Quick as a flash, Lavender got her pencil box from her satchel and slid open the lid just a tiny bit. The newt was laying quite still. With great care, she held the box over the neck of the jug and pulled the lid fully open and tipped the newt in. There was a plop as it landed in the water. Then it thrashed about wildly for a few seconds before settling down. And now, to make the newt feel more at home, Lavender decided to give it all the pond weed from the pencil box as well. The deed was done. All was ready. Lavender put her pencils back into the rather damp pencil box and returned it to its correct place on her own desk. Then she went out and joined the others in the playground until it was time for a lesson to begin. Chapter 13 The Weekly Test At two o'clock sharp, the class assembled, including Miss Honey, who noted that the jug of water and the glass were in the proper place. Then she took up a position, standing right in the back. Everyone waited. Suddenly, in marched the gigantic figure of the headmistress in her belted smock and green breeches. Good afternoon, children, she barked. Good afternoon, Miss Trunchbull, they chirruped. The headmistress stood before the class, legs apart, hands on hips, glaring at the small boys and girls who sat nervously at their desks in front of her. Not a very pretty sight, she said. Her expression was one of utter distaste, as though she was looking at something a dog had done in the middle of the floor. What a bunch of nauseating little warts you are. Everyone had the sense to stay silent. It makes me vomit, she went on, to think that I'm going to have to put up with a load of garbage like you in my school for the next six years. I can see that I'm going to have to expel as many as you as possible as soon as possible to save myself from going around the bend. She paused and snorted several times. It was a curious noise. You can hear the same sort of thing if you walk through a riding stable when the horses are being fed. I suppose, she went on, your mothers and fathers tell you you're wonderful. Well, I'm here to tell you the opposite, and you'd better believe me. Stand up, everybody. They all quickly got to their feet. Now put your hands out in front of you, and as I walked past, I want you to turn them over so I can see if they're clean on both sides. The trench bull began a slow march along the rows of desks, inspecting the hands. All went well until she came to a small boy in the second row. What is your name? She barked. Nigel, the boy said. Nigel what? Nigel Hicks, the boy said. Nigel Hicks what? The trunchbull bellowed. She bellowed so loud she nearly blew the little chap out the window. That's it, Nigel said. Unless you want my middle name as well. He was a brave little fellow, and one could see that he was trying not to be scared by the gorgon who towered above him. I do not want your middle names, you blister, the gorgon bellowed. What is my name? Miss Trunchbull, Nigel said. Then use it when you address me. Now then, let's try again. What is your name? Nigel Hicks, Miss Trunchbull, Nigel said. That's better, the Trunchbull said. Your hands are filthy, Nigel. When did you last wash them? Well, let me think, Nigel said. That's rather difficult to remember exactly. It could have been yesterday, or it could have been the day before. The Trunchbull's whole body and face seemed to swell up as though she was being inflated by a bicycle pump. I knew it, she bellowed. I knew it as soon as I saw you that you were nothing but a piece of filth. What's your father's job, a sewage worker? He's a doctor, Nigel said, and a jolly good one. He says we're all so covered with bugs anyway that a bit of extra dirt never hurts anyone. This is me talking. I'm certain that Nigel's father also tells him he only has a bath once a week. He probably also was anti-vax. I'm glad he's not my doctor, the Trunchbull said. And why, might I ask, is there a baked bean on the front of your shirt? We had them for lunch, Miss Trunchbull. And do you usually put your lunch on the front of your shirt, Nigel? Is that what this famous doctor father of yours has taught you to do? "'Baked beans are hard to eat, Miss Trunchbull. "'They keep falling off my fork.' "'You are disgusting,' the Trunchbull bellowed. "'You are a walking germ factory. "'I don't want to see any more of you today. "'Go and stand in the corner on one leg with your face to the wall.' "'But, Miss Trunchbull... "'Don't argue with me, boy, or I'll make you stand on your head. "'Now do what you're told,' Nigel went. "'Now stay where you are, boy.' while I test you on your spelling to see if you learnt anything at all this past week. And don't turn around when you talk to me. Keep your nasty little face to the wall. Now then, spell right. Which one, Nigel asked. The thing you do with a pen, or the one that means the opposite or wrong? He happened to be an unusually bright child, and his mother had worked hard with him at home on spelling and reading. The one with the pen, you little fool. Nigel spelled it correctly, which surprised the trunchbull. She thought she had given him a very tricky word, one that he wouldn't have yet learnt, and she was peeved that he had succeeded. Then Nigel said, still balancing on one leg and facing the wall, Miss Honey taught us to spell a new, very long word yesterday. And what word was that? the trunchbull asked softly. The softer her voice became, the greater the danger. But Nigel wasn't to know this. Difficulty, Nigel said. Everyone in the class can spell difficulty now. What nonsense, the trench bull said. You're not supposed to learn long words like that until you're at least eight or nine. And don't try to tell me everyone in the class can spell that word. You're lying to me, Nigel. Test someone, Nigel said, taking an awful chance. Test anyone you like. The Trunchbull's dangerous, glittering eyes rolled around the classroom. You, she said, pointing at a tiny and rather daft little girl called Prudence. Spell difficulty. Amazingly, Prudence spelled it correctly and without a moment's hesitation. The Trunchbull was properly taken aback. "Hm," she snorted. And I suppose Miss Honey wasted the whole of one lesson teaching you to spell that one single word? Oh no, she didn't, piped Nigel. Miss Honey taught it to us in three minutes, so we'll never forget it. She teaches us lots of words in three minutes. And what exactly is this magic method, Miss Honey? asked the headmistress. I'll show you," piped up the brave Nigel again, coming to Miss Honey's rescue. Can I put my other foot down and turn around, please, while I show you? You may do neither," snapped the trunchbull. "Stay as you are and show me just the same." All right," said Nigel wobbling crazily on his one leg. Miss Honey gives us a little song about each word and we all sing it together and we learn to spell it in no time. Would you like to hear the song about difficulty? I should be fascinated, the trench bull said in a voice dripping with sarcasm. Here it is, Nigel said. Mrs. D, Mrs. I, Mrs. F, F, I, Mrs. C, Mrs. U, Mrs. L, T, Y. That spells difficulty. Difficulty. How perfectly ridiculous, snorted the trunchbull. Why are all these women married? And anyway, you're not meant to teach poetry when you're teaching spelling. Cut it out in the future, Miss Honey. But it does teach them some of the harder words wonderfully well, Miss Honey murmured. Don't argue with me, Miss Honey, the head mistress thundered. Just do as you're told. I shall now test a class on the multiplication table to see if Miss Honey has taught you anything at all in that direction. The trunch bully returned to her place in front of the class, and her diabolical gaze was moving slowly along the rows of tiny pupils. You, she barked, pointing at a small boy named Rupert in the front row. What is two sevens? sixteen, Rupert answered with foolish abandon. The bull started advancing, slow and soft-footed upon Rupert, in the manner of a tigress stalking a small deer. Rupert suddenly became aware of the danger signals, and quickly tried again. "'It's eighteen,' he cried. "'Two sevens are eighteen, not sixteen. "'You ignorant little slug,' the bull bellowed. "'You witless weed. "'You empty-headed hamster. "'You stupid glob of glue.' She had now stationed herself directly behind Rupert, and suddenly she extended a hand the size of a tennis racket and grabbed all the hair on Rupert's head and her fist. Rupert had a lot of golden colored hair. His mother thought it was beautiful to behold and took a delight in allowing it to grow extra long. The trench bull had as great a dislike for long hair on boys as she had for plaits and pigtails on girls and she was about to show it. She took a firm grip on Rupert's long golden tresses with her giant hand and then, by raising her muscular right arm, she lifted the helpless boy clean out of his chair and held him aloft. Rupert yelled. He twisted and squirmed and kicked the air and went on yelling like a stuck pig. And Miss Trunchbull bellowed, two sevens are fourteen. Two sevens are fourteen. I'm not letting you go until you say it. From the back of the class, Miss Honey cried out. Miss Trunchbull, please let him down. You're hurting him. All his hair might come out. And well, it might if he doesn't stop wiggling, snorted the Trunchbull. Keep still, you squirming worm. It was really quite an extraordinary sight to see this giant head mistress dangling the small boy high in the air and the boy spinning and twisting like something on the end of a string and shrieking his head off. Say it! bellowed the trunchbull say two sevens or fourteen hurry up or i'll start jerking you up and down and then your hair really will come out and we'll have enough of it to stuff a sofa get on with it boy say two sevens or fourteen and i'll let you go two sevens or fourteen gasped rupert whereupon the trunchbull true to her word opened her hand and quite literally let him go he was a long way off the ground when she released him, and he plummeted to earth and hit the floor and bounced like a football. "'Get up and stop whimpering,' the Trunchbull barked. Rupert got up and went back to his desk, massaging his scout with both hands. The Trunchbull returned to the front of the class. The children sat there hypnotized. None of them had seen anything quite like this before. It was splendid entertainment. It was better than a pantomime, but with one difference. In this room... There was an enormous human bomb in front of them, which was liable to explode and blow someone to bits any moment. The children's eyes were riveted on the headmistress. I don't like small people, she was saying. Small people should never be seen by anybody. They should be kept out of sight in boxes like hairpins and buttons. I cannot for the life of me see why children have to take so long to grow up. I think they do it on purpose. Another extremely brave boy in the front row spoke up and said, But surely you were a small person once, Miss Trunchbull, weren't you? I was never a small person, she snapped. I've been large all my life, and I don't see why others can't be the same way. But you must have started out as a baby, the boy said. Me? A baby? shouted the Trunchbull. How dare you suggest such a thing? What cheek? What infernal insolence? What's your name, boy? And stand up when you speak to me. The boy stood up. My name is Eric Ink, Miss Trunchbull, he said. Eric what? the Trunchbull shouted. Ink, the boy said. Don't be an ass, boy. There is no such name. Look in the phone book, Eric said. You'll see my father there under ink. Very well then, the Trunchbull said. You may be ink, young man, but let me tell you something. You're not indelible. I'll very soon rub you out if you try getting clever with me. Spell what? I don't understand, Eric said. What do you want me to spell? Spell what, you idiot? Spell the word what? W-O-T, Eric said, answering too quickly. There was a nasty silence. I'll give you one more chance, the Trunchbull said, not moving. Ah, yes, I know, Eric said. It's got an H in it. W-H-O-T. It's easy. In two large strides, the Trunchbull was behind Eric's desk, and there she stood, a pillar of doom towering over the helpless boy. Eric glanced fearfully back over his shoulder at the monster. I was right, wasn't I? He murmured nervously. You were wrong, the trench bull barked. In fact, you strike me as a sort of poisonous little pockmark that will always be wrong. You sit wrong. You look wrong. You speak wrong. You are wrong all around. I will give you one more chance to be right. Spell what? Eric hesitated. Then he said very slowly, it's not W.O.T. and it's not W.H.O.T. Ah, I know it must be W.H.O.T.T. Standing behind Eric, the Trunchbull reached out and took hold of the boy's two ears, one with each hand pinching them between forefinger and thumb. Ow! Eric cried. Ow! You're hurting me! I haven't started yet, the Trunchbull said briskly. And now, taking a firm grip on his two ears, she lifted him bodily out of his seat and held him aloft. Like Rupert before him, Eric squealed the house down. From the back of the classroom, Miss Honey cried out, Miss Trunchbull, don't! Please let him go! His ears might come off! They'll never come off, the Trunchbull shouted back. I've learned through long experience, Miss Honey, that the ears of small boys are stuck very firmly to their heads. Let him go, Miss Trunchbull, please, begged Miss Honey. You could damage him, you really could, you could wrench them right off. Ears never come off, the trunchbull shouted. They stretch most marvelously, like these are doing now, but I can assure you, they never come off. Eric was squealing louder than ever and peddling the air with his legs. Matilda had never seen a boy, or anyone else for that matter, held aloft by his ears alone. Like Miss Honey, she felt sure both ears were going to come off at any moment with all the weight that was on them. The trunchbull was shouting, The word What? It's spelled W-H-A-T. Now spell it, you little wart. Eric didn't hesitate. He had learned from watching Rupert a few minutes before that the quicker you answered, the quicker you were released. W-H-A-T, he squealed. Spells what? Still holding him by the ears, the trunchbull lowered him back into his chair behind his desk. Then she marched back to the front of the class, dusting off her hands one against the other, like someone who has been handling something rather grimy. That's the way to make them learn, Miss Honey, she said. You take it from me. It's no good just telling them. you got to hammer it into them. There's nothing like a little twisting and twiddling to encourage them to remember things. It concentrates their minds wonderfully. You could do them permanent damage, Miss Trenchbull," Miss Honey cried out. Oh, I have. I'm quite sure I have, the Trunchbull answered, grinning. Eric's ears will have stretched quite considerably in the last couple of minutes. They'll be much longer now than they were before. There's nothing wrong with that, Miss Honey. It'll give him an interesting pixie look for the rest of his life. But Miss Trunchbull... Oh, do shut up, Miss Honey. You're as wet as any of them. If you can't cope in here, then you can go and find a job at some cotton wool private school for rich brats. When you've been teaching for as long as I have, you'll realize that it's no good at all being kind to children. Read Nicholas Nickleby, Miss Honey, by Mr. Dickens. Read about Mr. Wackford Squeers, the admiral headmaster at do the boys' hall. He knew how to handle little brutes, didn't he? He knew how to use the birch, didn't he? He kept their backsides so warm you could have fried eggs and bacon on them. A fine book, that. "'But I don't suppose this bunch of morons we've got here will ever read it, "'because by the look of them, they're never going to learn to read anything.' "'I've read it,' Matilda said quietly. "'The Trunchbull flicked her head around and looked carefully at the small girl "'with the dark hair and deep brown eyes sitting in the second row. "'What'd you say?' she asked sharply. "'I said I've read it, Miss Trunchbull.' "'Read what?' "'Nicholas Nickleby, Miss Trunchbull.' You're lying to me, madam, the trunchbull shouted, glaring at Matilda. I doubt there is a single child in the entire school who has read that book. And here you are, an unhatched shrimp sitting in the lowest form there is, trying to tell me a whopping great lie like that. Why do you do it? You must take me for a fool. Do you take me for a fool, child? Well, Matilda said. Then she hesitated. She would have liked to have said, yes, I jolly well do, but that would have been suicide. Well, she said again, still hesitating, still refusing to say no. The Trunchbull sensed what the child was thinking and she didn't like it. Stand up when you speak to me, she snapped. What is your name? Matilda stood up and said, my name is Matilda Wormwood, Mr. Trunchbull. Wormwood, is it? The Trunchbull said. In that case, you must be the daughter of that man who owns Wormwood Motors. Yes, Miss Trunchbull. He's a crook, the Trunchbull shouted. A week ago, he sold me a second-hand car that he said was almost new. Thought he was a splendid fellow then. But this morning, while I was driving that car through the village, the entire engine fell out on the road. The whole thing was filled with sawdust. The man's a thief and a robber. I'll have his skin for sausages. You see if I don't. He's clever at his business, Matilda said. Clever my foot, the trench bull shouted. Miss Honey tells me that you're meant to be clever too. Well, madam, I don't like clever people. They're all crooked. You are most certainly crooked. Before I fell out with your father, he told me some very nasty stories about the way you behaved at home. But you better not try anything like that in this school, young lady. I shall be keeping a very careful eye on you from now on. Sit down and keep quiet. Chapter 14, The First Miracle. Matilda sat down again at her desk. The Trunchbull seated herself behind the teacher's table. It was the first time she had sat down during Oh, wait, no, hold on, sorry, my bad. Parents, please don't do that to your kids. You know the whole, I'm gonna give you one more chance, and why can't you do this right, and... The word is this, especially like first graders, kindergartners, people who are just learning how to read, standing over their back and screaming at them, you know you know this word, is only going to freak them out more. Trust me. Telling that they know they know something is unfair. The way I look at something is just because you know something, just because you know what 2 plus 2 is and it's easy for you because you've done it your whole life, does not mean that this 5-year-old is able to grasp it nearly as quickly. Spelling. Geography, all these things that you have had the opportunity to know for years, they are learning for the very first time, so please have grace. Okay, back to the book. Chapter 14, The First Miracle. Matilda sat down again at her desk. The trench Trenchable seated herself behind the teacher's table. It was the first time she had sat down during the lesson. Then she reached out a hand and took hold of her water jug. Still holding the jug by the handle but not lifting it yet, she said... I have never been able to understand why small children are so disgusting. They are the bane of my life. They're like insects. They should be got rid of as early as possible. We get rid of flies with fly and by hanging up fly paper. I've often thought of inventing a spray for getting rid of small children. How splendid would it be to walk into this classroom with a gigantic spray gun in my hand and stop pumping it? Or better yet... Some huge strips of sticky paper. I would hang them all around the school and you'd all get stuck on them and that would be the end of it. Wouldn't that be a good idea, Miss Honey? If it's meant to be a joke, headmistress, I don't think it's a very funny one, Miss Honey said from the back of the class. You wouldn't, would you, Miss Honey, the trench bull said. And it's not meant to be a joke. My idea of a perfect school, Miss Honey, is one that has no children in it at all. One of these days, I shall start up a school like that, and I think it'll be very successful. The woman is mad, Miss Honey was telling herself. She's round the twist. She's the one who ought to be got rid of. The trenchable now lifted the large blue the water jug and poured some water into her glass. And suddenly, with the water, out came the long, slimy newt straight into the glass. Plop! The trenchable let out a yell and leapt off her chair as though a firecracker had gone off underneath her. And now the children also saw the long, thin, slimy, yellow bellied lizard like creature twisting and turning in the glass. And they squirmed and jumped about as well, shouting, What is it? Oh, it's disgusting. It's a snake. It's a baby crocodile. It's an alligator. Look out, Miss Trunchbull, cried Lavender. I bet it bites. The Trunchbull, this mighty female giant, stood there in her green breeches. Quivering like a Blanc Mange. I really have to find out what that is because they've used it twice now. A Blanc Mange is a large format panna cotta. It's a gelatin dessert. Mm. It has cinnamon-steeped almond milk and cream in it. Mm. No thanks. She was especially furious if someone had succeeded in making her jump and yell like that because she prided herself on her toughness. She stared at the creature, twisting and wriggling in the glass. Curiously enough, she had never seen a newt before. Natural history was not her strong point. She hadn't the faintest idea what this thing was. It certainly looked extremely unpleasant. Slowly, she sat down again in her chair. She looked at this moment more terrifying than ever before. The fires of fury and hatred were smoldering in her small black eyes. Matilda, she barked. Stand up. Who, me? Matilda said. What have I done? Stand up, you disgusting little cockroach. I haven't done anything, Miss Trunchbull. Honestly, I haven't. I've never seen that slimy thing before. Stand up at once, you filthy little maggot. Reluctantly, Matilda got to her feet. She was in the second row. Lavender was in the row behind her, feeling a bit guilty. She hadn't intended to get her friend into trouble. On the other hand, she was certainly not about to own up. You are a vile, repulsive, repellent, malicious little brute, the trench bull was shouting. You are not fit to be in this school. You ought to be behind bars. That's where you ought to be. I shall have you drummed out of this establishment in utter disgrace. I shall have the prefects chase you down the corridor and out the front door with hockey sticks. I shall have the staff escort you home under armed guard. And then, I shall make absolutely sure you're sent to a reformatory school for delinquent girls for the minimum of 40 years. The Trunchbull was in such a rage that her face had taken on a boiled color, and little flecks of froth were gathering at the corners of her mouth. But she was not the only one who was losing her cool. Matilda was also beginning to see red. She didn't in the least mind being accused of having done something she had actually done. She could see the justice in that. It was, however, a totally new experience for her to be accused of a crime that she definitely had not committed. She had had absolutely nothing to do with that ghastly creature in the glass. By golly, she thought, that rotten trench bull isn't going to pin this on me. I did not do it, she screamed. Oh, yes, you did, the trench bull roared back. Nobody else could have thought up a trick like that. Your father was right to warn me about you. The woman seemed to have lost control of herself completely. She was ranting like a maniac. You're finished in this school, young lady, she shouted. You're finished everywhere. I shall personally see to it that you're put away in a place where not even the crows can land their droppings on you. You'll probably never again see the light of day. I'm telling you, I did not do it, Matilda screamed. I've never seen a creature like that in my entire life. You have put a... a, A crocodile in my drinking water, the trunchbull yelled back. There is no worse crime in the world against a headmistress. Now sit down and don't say a word. Go on, sit down at once. But I'm telling you, Matilda shouted, refusing to sit down. I am telling you to shut up, the trunchbull roared. If you don't shut up at once and sit down, I shall remove my belt and let you have it with the end that has the buckle. Slowly, Matilda sat down. Oh, the rottenness of it all. The unfairness. How dare they expel her for something she hadn't done? Matilda felt herself getting angrier and angrier and angrier. So unbearably angry that something was bound to explode inside her very soon. The newt was still squirming in the tall glass of water. It looked horribly uncomfortable. The glass was not big enough for it. Matilda glared at the trunchbull. How she hated her. She glared at the glass with the newt in it. She longed to march up and grab the glass and tip the contents, newt and all, over the trunchbull's head. She trembled to think what the trunchbull would do to her if she did that. The trunchbull was sitting behind the teacher's table, staring with a mixture of horror and fascination at the newt wriggling in the glass. Matilda's eyes were also riveted on the glass. And now, quite slowly... There began to creep over Matilda a most extraordinary and peculiar feeling. The feeling was mostly in the eyes. A sense of electricity seemed to be gathering inside of them. A kind of electricity seemed to be gathering inside of them. A sense of power was brewing in those eyes of hers. A feeling of great strength was settling itself deep inside her eyes. But there was also another feeling which was something else altogether of which she could not understand. It was like flashes of lightning. Little waves of lightning seemed to be flashing out of her eyes. Her eyeballs were beginning to get hot, as though vast energy was building up somewhere inside of them. It was an amazing sensation. She kept her eyes steadily on the glass, and now the power was concentrating itself in one small part of each eye and growing stronger and stronger, and it felt as though thousands of tiny little invisible arms with hands on them were shooting out of her eyes towards the glass she was staring at. Tip it. Matilda whispered. Tip it over. She saw the glass wobble. It actually tilted backward a fraction of an inch, then righted itself again. She kept pushing at it with all those millions of invisible little arms and hands that were reaching out from her eyes, feeling the power that was flashing straight from the little two black dots in the very centers of her eyeballs. Tip it, she whispered again. Tip it over. Once more, the glass wobbled. She pushed harder still, willing her eyes to shoot out more power. And then, very, very slowly, so slowly that she could hardly see it happening, the glass began to lean backwards, farther and farther and farther backwards until it was balancing on just one edge of its base. And there it teetered for a few seconds before finally toppling over and falling with a sharp tinkle onto the desktop. The water in it and the squirming newt splashed out all over Miss Trunchbull's enormous bosom. The headmistress let out a yell that must have rattled every window pane in the building, and for the second time in the last five minutes, she shot out of her chair like a rocket. The newt clutched desperately at the cotton smock where it covered the great chest, and there it clung with its little claw-like feet. The trunchbull looked down and saw it, and she bellowed even louder, and with a swipe of her hand, she sent the creature flying across the classroom. It landed on the floor beside Lavender's desk, and very quickly she ducked down and picked it up and put it into her pencil box for another time. A newt, she decided, was a useful thing to have around. The trench bull, her face more like a boiled ham than ever, was standing before the class, quivering with fury. Her massive bosom was heaving in and out, and the splash of water down the front of it made a dark, wet patch that had probably soaked right through to her skin. Who did it? She roared. Come on, own up, step forward. You won't escape this time. Who is responsible for this dirty job? Who pushed over this glass? No one answered. The whole room remained silent as a tomb. Matilda, she roared. It was you. I know it was you. Matilda, in the second row, sat very still and said nothing. A strange feeling of serenity and confidence was sweeping over her, and all of a sudden she found that she was frightened by nobody in the world. With the power of her eyes alone, she had compelled a glass of water to tip and spill its contents over the horrible headmistress, and anybody who could do that could do anything. Speak up, you clotted carbuncle, roared the trench bull. Admit that you did it. Matilda looked right back into the flashing eyes of this infuriated female giant and said with total calmness, I have not moved away from my desk, Miss Trunchbull, since the lesson began. I can say no more. Suddenly, the entire class seemed to rise up against the headmistress. She didn't move, they cried out. Matilda didn't move. Nobody moved. You must have knocked it over yourself. I most certainly did not knock it over myself, the roar Bull. the Trunchbull. How dare you suggest such a thing like that? Speak up, Miss Honey. You must have seen everything. Who knocked over my glass? None of the children did, Miss Trunchbull, Miss Honey answered. I can vouch for it that nobody has moved from his or her desk all the time you've been here, except for Nigel, and he hasn't moved from his corner. Miss Trunchbull glared at Miss Honey. Miss Honey met her glance without flinching. I'm telling you the truth, headmistress, she said. You must have knocked it door without knowing it. That sort of thing is easy to do. I am fed up with you useless bunch of midgets, roared the Trunchbull. I refuse to waste any more of my precious time in here. And with that, she marched out the classroom, slamming the door behind her. In the stunned silence that followed, Miss Honey walked up to the front of the class and stood behind her table. "Phew," she said. I think we've had enough school for one day, don't you? The class is dismissed. You may all go out into the playground and wait for your parents to come and take you home. Chapter 15, The Second Miracle Matilda did not join the rush to get out of the classroom. After all the other children had all disappeared, she remained at her desk, quiet and thoughtful. She knew she had to tell somebody about what had happened with the glass. She couldn't possibly keep a gigantic secret like that bottled up inside her. What she needed was just one person, one wise and sympathetic grown-up, who could help her to understand the meaning of this extraordinary happening. Neither her mother nor her father would be of any use at all. If they believed her story, and it was doubtful they would... They almost certainly would fail to realize what an astounding event it was that had taken place in the classroom that afternoon. On the spur of the moment, Matilda decided that the one person she would like to confide in was Miss Honey. Matilda and Miss Honey were now the only two left in the classroom. Miss Honey had seated herself at her table and was rifling through some papers. She looked up and said, Well, Matilda, aren't you going outside with the others? Matilda said, Please, may I talk to you for a moment? Of course you may. What's troubling you? Something very peculiar has happened to me, Miss Honey. Miss Honey became instantly alert. Ever since the two disastrous meetings she had recently about Matilda, the first with the headmistress and the second with the dreadful Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood, Miss Honey had been thinking a great deal about this child and wondering how she could help her. And now... Here was Matilda sitting in the classroom with a curiously exalted look on her face and asking if she could have a private talk. Miss Honey had never seen her looking so wide-eyed and peculiar before. Yes, Matilda, she said. Tell me what happened to you that's so peculiar. You need to find another word because you've used peculiar like three times in the last three sentences. Three paragraphs, okay. Miss Trenchable isn't going to expel me, is she? Matilda asked. Because it wasn't me who put the creature in her jug of water. I promise you it wasn't. I know it wasn't, Miss Honey said. Am I going to be expelled? I think not, Miss Honey said. The headmistress simply got a little overexcited, that's all. Good, Matilda said, but that isn't what I want to talk to you about. What do you want to talk to me about, Matilda? I want to talk to you about the glass of water with the creature in it, Matilda said. You saw it spilling all over Miss Trunchbull, didn't you? I did indeed. Well, Miss Honey, I didn't touch it. I never went near it. I know you didn't, Miss Honey said. You heard me telling the headmistress that it couldn't possibly have been you. But it was me, Miss Honey, Matilda said. That's exactly what I want to talk to you about. Miss Honey paused and looked carefully at the child. I don't think I quite follow you, she said. I got so angry at being accused of something I hadn't done that I made it happen. You made what happen, Matilda? I made the glass tip over. I still don't quite understand what you mean, Miss Honey said gently. I did it with my eyes, Matilda said. I was staring at it and wishing for it to tip, and then my eyes went all hot and funny and some sort of power came out of them and the glass just toppled over. Miss Honey continued to look steadily at Matilda through her still-rimmed spectacles, and Matilda looked back at her just as steadily. I'm still not following you, Miss Honey said. Do you mean you actually willed the glass to tip over? Yes, Matilda said, with my eyes. Miss Honey was silent for a moment. She didn't think Matilda was meaning to tell a lie. It was more likely that she was simply allowing her vivid imagination to run away from her. You mean you were sitting where you are now, and you told the glass to topple over and it did? Something like that, Miss Honey, yes. If you did that, then it's just about the greatest miracle a person has ever performed since the time of Jesus. I did it, Miss Honey. It is extraordinary, thought Miss Honey, how often small children have flights of fancy like this. She decided to put an end to it as gently as possible. Could you do it again? She asked, not unkindly. I don't know, Matilda said, but I think I might be able to. Miss Honey moved the now-empty glass to the middle of the table. Should I put water in it, she asked, smiling a little. I don't think it matters, Matilda said. Very well, then. Go ahead and tip it over. It it may take some time. Take all the time you want, Miss Honey said. I'm in no hurry. Matilda Sitting in the second row about ten feet away from Miss Honey, put her elbows on the desk and cupped her face in her hands. And this time, she gave the order right at the beginning. Tip, Glass, tip, she ordered. But her lips didn't move and she made no sound. She simply shouted the words inside of her head. And now she concentrated the whole of her mind and her brain and her will up into her eyes. And once again, but much more quickly than before, she felt the electricity gathering. And the power was beginning to surge, and the hotness was coming into the eyeballs. And then the millions of tiny invisible arms with hands on them were shooting out towards the glass. And without making any sound at all, she kept on shouting inside her head for the glass to go over. She saw it wobble. Then it tilted. Then it toppled right over and fell with a tinkle onto the tabletop, not twelve inches from Miss Honey's folded arms. Miss Honey's mouth dropped open, and her eyes stretched so wide you could see the whites all round. She didn't say a word. She couldn't. The shock of seeing the miracle performed had struck her dumb. She gaped at the glass, leaning well away from it now as though she thought it might be a dangerous thing. Then slowly, she lifted her head and looked at Matilda. She saw the child white in the face, as white as paper, trembling all over, the eyes glazed, staring straight ahead and seeing nothing. The whole face was transfigured, the eyes round and bright and she was sitting there speechless, quite beautiful, in a blaze of silence. Miss Honey waited, trembling a little herself, and watching the child as she slowly stirred herself back into consciousness. Then suddenly, click, went her face to a look of seraphic calm. I'm alright, she said and smiled. I'm quite alright, Miss Honey, so don't be alarmed. You seem so far away, Miss Honey whispered, awestruck. Oh, I was. I was flying past the stars on silver wings, Matilda said. It was wonderful. Miss Honey was still gazing at the child in absolute wonderment, as though she was the creation, the beginning of the world, the first morning. It went much quicker this time, Matilda said quietly. It's not possible, Miss Honey was gasping. I don't believe it. I simply don't believe it. She closed her eyes and kept them closed for quite a while. And when she opened them again... It seemed as though she had gathered herself together. Would you like to come back and have tea in my cottage, she asked. Oh, I'd love to, Matilda said. Good. Gather up your things and I'll meet you outside in a couple of minutes. You won't tell anyone about this, this thing that I did, will you, Miss Honey? I wouldn't dream of it, Miss Honey said. Nine one six six three three one five three seven ratchetandratchet@gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on PodChaser. Copy that. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Copy that. Leave a review on Good Pods. You can also donate to the show at Patreon.com/singlesamuelcast, uh, BuyMeACoffee.com/sscast, and at Good Pods by going to our tip jar. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. I have thoughts about this whole thing, but I'm going to save it until the end of the book. Like the end, end of the book. But this book did have a absolute change in my life from the time that I read it. It changed my life from there on. And I'll talk about it at the end of the book. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Music.